Cool. Welcome to the Making F School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Making F School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, a division of Harris County Department of Education, and I'm your host, Mike Wilson. Today, we're going to be discussing engaging educational leaders, school board members, and community stakeholders on the task of focusing on improving student outcomes. My guest today is A.J. Crabbell, an education reform advocate and public speaker on education reform. A.J., how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking some time to speak on this issue. Uh, it appears today a lot of people have opinions about the uh, state of our education, uh, and I know it's definitely put the spotlight on school board members, school administrators, leaders, as well as community members. And I think on one end, it's good to have a lot of people involved with education, but then on the other end, uh, our educational leaders do need to stay focused on uh, what's important for our kids. So again, thank you for taking some time uh, for joining me today on the After School Cool podcast. Gladly. First, I want to start off with what inspired your passion for educational issues and reform? I think like most people, a lot of my own personal experiences with public education have brought me on this journey. You know, part of that is having the benefit of being served by just some really amazing teachers and educators who stood up for me and pushed me to be more than I might have otherwise been and, and who really created a protective hedge around me in times when um, perhaps some of my choices were not um, as optimal as I'd prefer. Uh, but also as a parent trying to figure out how do I help children navigate a, a system that doesn't always seem to be optimized for, for their benefit and how can I be an advocate for that. And so I, I think my own personal experiences have led me into it. Certainly being able to wake up every day and feel like I, I get to be a champion for young people certainly keeps that drive alive. Doing my background research on you and some of the impressive work you've done, I've heard you make the statement, student outcomes don't change until adult behavior change. Can you expound on this statement? Uh, gladly. Yeah, this idea that student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change is really intended to be this covenant between me and the students that I serve, uh, a, a sacred trust that I will always be willing to aggressively interrogate my own adult behaviors and look for inconsistencies between those behaviors and the things that I want for students. And when I find those, because it's not a question of they exist, it's a question of am I willing to consistently look for them? And when I find those, am I willing to make changes in my own adult behavior? It's just this belief in what's possible for children through this continuous improvement that I engage in on a day-to-day -day basis, that I'm constantly open to the idea that the gap between my intentions and my impact isn't completely grounded in externalities, but instead is often grounded in how I'm showing up in the moment and that I have to be willing to choose what's possible for children over what's possible for my own ego. Now, we're going to start on, on the top for uh, most educational institutions, um, and they have a school board. And a lot of the members of the school board comes from a variety of backgrounds and different types of communities. Uh, I've also experienced times where I've thought and really knew people who uh, volunteered for a school board. And in my own head, I'm thinking, okay, there's no way they're qualified <laughs> for this. 
democracy yeah, think, uh, is a weird <laughs> is a weird filter. No it doubt. is. It is. And I sometimes I think you know and 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 look back and I and sometimes I realize that it's uh, erroneous thought. But I think people may have this perception that school board members uh, who are the leaders of the particular districts districts or institutions have a vast experience in education. And I know a lot of times that's not necessarily the case. So how would you describe the role of school boards and who do you think would make excellent school board members? So to be clear about this, you have to first be clear about what is the job of a school board member. And to be clear about that, it actually helps to first be clear about why do school systems exist in the first place. And so school systems exist for one reason and one reason only, and that's to improve student outcomes. It's the school systems exist to cause an increase in what students know and are able to do. When children leave out of the school system, the only thing they will be taking with them is what is it that I know and am able to do? And, and that's what I will carry with me to the next stage of my journey, whatever that holds for me. I won't get to take my teachers with me. I won't get to take my laptops and my books with me. I won't get to carry the classroom with me and take it to the next spot in the journey. What I have, the blessing that my education has created lives in what do I know and what am I able to do? And so it is for that reason and that reason only the school systems exist. School systems don't exist to have balanced budgets, to pick the right textbook, to serve lunches, to you know have great playground equipment or stadiums and jumbotrons. None of those are the reasons school systems exist. School systems don't even exist to have a balanced budget or highly satisfied parents or highly satisfied teachers. Like none of these are why school systems exist. These are all valuable things because they contribute to the why, but they're not the why themselves. And so the first thing, if you're gonna have an effective school board member, they've gotta be clear about why does this school system exist? If I'm going to be in a leadership role with the school system, I have to be clear about that foundational element. Why does the school system exist? And what I submit to you is it exists for one reason and one reason only. It's to improve student outcomes, to cause an increase in what students know and are able to do. Now, the challenge inside of that is that there, you know, across Houston, we've got, what, 7 million people you know, here in town. I, I can't remember how many. But we can't fit all 7 million of us around a table to make decisions about what we want our students to know and be able to do. And so at some point, somebody had a clever idea. Well, what we should probably do then is we should probably elect some people to be our representatives and to represent our vision for what students should know and be able to do and our values around what would be inappropriate, what would be unacceptable behavior because it'd be a violation of our values. So we should probably pick some representatives and that's what they'll do their sole function will be to represent our vision and represent our values. And this is the sole reason that school boards exist. School boards exist to represent the vision and values of the community, uh, to represent the vision of the community, what a community wants the students to know and be able to do, to represent the values of the community, what are the non-negotiables that the school system has to honor while it's on its journey to accomplish the vision. And so once we understand that that's the only reason school systems exist to improve student outcomes, and once we understand that's the only reason school boards exist to represent the vision and values of the community, now we can have a conversation about what are the ideal characteristics of a school board. Well, the obvious short version of that is who, whatever group of people collectively can competently represent the community's vision and the community's values. If that's what you want, it actually helps to have a relatively diverse group, a group that is representative experientially of the full diversity that a community has to offer. Now, obviously a place like here, you know, you know Harris County, it's a little bit harder because there's so many of us. But what we still look for is who are the people who, when we send them into that boardroom on our behalf, they really 
will carry with them our collective sense of what we want our students to know and be able to do and what are our non-negotiable values. Uh, what people often get it twisted on is people will think, oh, well, school board member, that means you need somebody who has expertise in education and you need somebody who has expertise in uh, law and someone who has expertise in finance. And so we think of all these occupations that would be appropriate. That's actually not why we hire school board members. And to be clear, they are hired. They're hired through an electoral process, but they are definitely hired. That's And that is not the job description for which we're hiring them. So is it bad to have a teacher or attorney or doctor or someone with financial expertise? No, it's fine to have those people on the board, but we don't have to have any of those people on the board. What we really have to have is a group of people who collectively can do a competent job of listening for the vision and values of the community writing those down, making that vision plain. Because uh, as you probably understand, uh, uh, people uh, without a vision, they perish. And so the board has to be competent about listening for the vision, writing the vision down, and then monitoring progress to make sure that vision is coming to pass. So realistically, that's almost any of us. As long as we're willing to do those things, put in the work to listen for, codify, and then monitor progress relative to the vision and values of the community. And that's a good segue to my next question. Uh, the people that I know and have spoken with that are on school boards, uh, they tend to have a motivator or some sort of reason why they join the board. You know, they want to create some change. They mm -hmm. um, There may be an issue in the district that they want to resolve. They just might want to just change the whole system. Mm -hmm. But you've done a lot of work uh, regarding changing the perceptions and the work of school board members as it relates to student outcomes. Yeah. And you stated there's a difference between being a board focused on student outcomes versus adult input. That's right. In your opinion, what is this difference? Yeah, this is foundational in that the default orientation, and this is certainly true for me. I spent eight years you know, as an elected school board member. Um, and when I arrived on the school board, the things that I focused on were grounded in things that I knew. I was a computer programmer in a former career before I got into education. And so I showed up and on day one of the school board, I'm identifying all of the problems with all the technology and the computers and these things are wrong. And we, if we had better technology systems, you know, behind the scenes, uh, that, that that would make education better and the children would magically learn and all of these wild things. It, what I didn't have the wisdom to notice then, but it's clear to me now uh, with the benefit of hindsight and time, is that I was not at all focused on student outcomes. Why, and I'm asking you, Michael, why was it that I was focused on talking about technology and computer systems during my first six months on the school board? That's the area you were familiar with. Because that's what I was familiar with. It wasn't actually about student outcomes. It wasn't about what do our students most need. It was about what do I have to offer that I'm competent in what will help me look good as if I know what I'm talking about. What What is a contribution that I feel comfortable making? None of that is about children. Now, don't get it twisted. My observations were accurate. The tech was trash and needed to be overhauled. <laughs> but I wasn't focused on the tech because that's what our students most needed to have their educational opportunities expanded. I was focused on because of me. And this is the key distinction between a focus on adult inputs, what are the strategies and resources that the adults are deploying, and a focus on the student outcomes. What is it that our students actually know and are able to do in reality at the end of the cycle? 
the adult inputs focus is about what are the tangible things that we're doing at the beginning of the cycle, but that's not why school systems exist. If we buy all the right books, that doesn't mean that we've been successful in the school system. If we buy all the right technology, that doesn't mean we've been successful in the school system. These are adult inputs. These are resources, strategies deployed at the beginning of the cycle. But the board that focuses its energy on adult inputs to the exclusion of the focus on student outcomes is a board that set its, sets its students up to fail. And this is this is how I showed up. Despite all of my good intentions, despite what I wanted to accomplish, the reality is my adult inputs focused behavior was actually causing children to fail because what they really needed was someone focused on what they knew and were able to do in reality at the end of the cycle. And that's not where my focus was. And when you focus on student outcomes first, you start to do things differently. Had I showed up with a focus on student outcomes, I said, okay, what is it that little AJ knows and is able to do right now? Where do I want little AJ to get to? And what are the top three things that are a preventative from little AJ getting from where he is to where he wants to be? And if I did a list of the top 25 things, technology would probably be on that list. Right, Real right. talk. But if I'm doing a list of the top three things, technology is not on that list. And so if I start with student outcomes in mind, what is the result that, that I want for little AJ and that he wants for himself? And what are the, the things that are most causal in him not being there? Then let's focus it on that. And then we then the next step is, okay, then what are the strategies and resources we need to apply to accomplish those things? That is the difference between coming at it from an adult inputs focused to a student outcomes focused. And my work, what I'm called to, what I'm inspired by, or why, why I get up and do the things I do, is because I want to accelerate the transition across the entire nation from an adult inputs focused to a student outcomes focused. Now you stated that there are four types of school boards, even though in reality there should only be one. Can you <laughs> explain what are the other types of traps boards often fall into? Yeah, this is a this is a harsh conversation. It makes folks feel uncomfortable, but sometimes we we need a little bit of that. And so one of the things that I, I mentioned in one of the opening chapters of the of my book is that what it is that a governing team focuses on really winds up being decisive in terms of how that governing team functions and what they produce or fail to produce on behalf of children. And so the four foci that a board boards generally wind up having chosen from is we could be a patronage focused in which the function of governance is to extract resources from the organization and make sure they make it to whoever the patrons are that are the sponsors of the governance team members. We could have a contribution focused board where the focus of the governing team is to get contributions from outside of the organization and pull them into the organization. We could have a founder focused board where the purpose of the governing team is to support and lift up the organization founder and help them be great, even if it's not necessarily consistent with the mandate of the organization. And then finally, we could have a outcomes focus, a student outcomes focused board where the function of governance is to create the conditions for improvements in student outcomes who are being served by the organization. What I find as I look across the nation that the default tends to be, if you don't know which of those you are, 
the default tends to be a patronage that that board members are selected and put in place by certain patrons in the community, be they organizations or individuals, with the intention of I need you to extract resources from the organization um, and make sure that they make it my direction. This is unfortunate, but this is also relatively inevitable in an adult inputs focused world is that the extraction of resources for adults uh, is absolutely what you should expect to be the default in the absence of being student outcomes focused. But we see this a lot um, in city councils where people are specifically elected, you know, say by uh, developers or by some social group or something else. And the function that we want you to do while you were in that city council is to get resources from the city and make sure they come in the particular direction that we think they should come to. That, that That's generally a very common modality that I see on city councils that they often wind up operating in a patronage focused way. When it comes to founder focused boards, a lot of charter school boards fall into this where there is this charismatic and well-intentioned and really great educator founder of the organization, but they wind up selecting all the board members and all the board members have a sense of obligation to and loyalty to the founder more so than to, even to the mission. And so if we get a conflict between the founder's interest and the mission's interest, then a founder focused board is going to choose the founder rather than choose the children. They, they won't intend to, and they, they wouldn't even see it that way. The, the rationalizations will happen so quickly, just like in a patronage focused board, people will rationalize it. Well, if, if we're extracting resources in this way, that does the highest good. If we're supporting our founder in this way, that does the highest good. But these are purely rationalizations. These are not, in fact, systems that are designed to elevate outcomes for students. Similarly, in a contributions focused board, you see these a lot in nonprofits, like in your cultural organizations, like your function, you are here to bring money into the orchestra or into the library or something of that nature. And, and really, that is a large part of the function is they're grabbing resources from external to the organization and bringing it in. Uh, but the focus of that isn't, are we accomplishing the mission? The focus of that is, how are we funding the mission? The fourth type, the types that I argue for, is to be an outcomes-focused board, to, to articulately say, here are here's the vision of the community, here's what the community wants its students to know and be able to do. And everything else in this organization is measured against what's its propensity for causing improvements in student outcomes. And anything that's causing more of that, we we say that that fits within this organization. Anything that's not causing that, we say it's probably lovely, but it doesn't fit within this organization. We have to let it go. We have to engage in strategic abandonment. We have to let things go that aren't causing improvements in student outcomes that we can't directly link back. That is a challenging thing. In my experience, a student outcomes focused orientation is unfortunately not yet the default orientations of school boards across the country, but it can be. Now, you have probably multiple lens uh, and perspectives uh, working with, you know, community stakeholders, board members, people interested in education. I mean, your role working with the Texas Education Agency, serving on the school board yourself, it gives you a very unique perspective. Uh, and I'm sure you've attended a lot of meetings, uh, witnessed <laughs> a lot of meetings. Uh, can you share with our listeners what you've learned from coding hundreds of school board meetings and why how boards use their time really matters? Yeah, this is critical, is that ultimately there really is one source of value, and that is time. And that when we think of money, money is just stored time. I, I put in 
amount of time with my employer and they gave me some money in exchange for that time. When I go to the grocery store and I buy an apple, I'm really just buying time. Instead of me going out to the orchard and planting an apple tree and raising it and buying that apple uh, and, and eating that apple, the fruits of my labor, I'm literally paying money to somebody else who did all of that on my behalf. Money is just stored time. They're the source of value is time. And so if leaders are going to really drive performance improvements for students to really increase what students don't able to do. Leaders have to be intentional about their deployment of time. And this is just as true for our, our leaders in the classroom, you know, our educators, as it is for our leaders in the boardroom. And so a lot of time has been spent looking into how do leaders deploy their time? This is really a common resource that's been done for educators and principals. It's only recently, the last you know, 10, 15 years, that we've seen more and more evidence emerge around what are optimal uses of leader time in the boardroom. And so part of what I and a bunch of the colleagues have done is we started coding just hundreds and hundreds of board meetings to try to mine meaning from them to understand what works and what doesn't. Probably one of the most key things that's emerged for me inside of this work of coding board meetings and just really being an observer and a student of board meetings over time is that, is that there's this significant distinction between whether board is professionally behaving or unprofessional behaving and as distinct from whether a board is effectively behaving versus ineffectively behaving. I think people often think that those exist on the same continuum and what my observations uh, suggest is it's not actually the case of the two separate continuum. The first question is, is a board behaving professionally or unprofessionally? A, a, un, and, and that's not a pejorative, that's not a moralistic description. It's just a question of, are they behaving in a way that allows the business to be conducted? And so if board members are yelling and screaming and having fights and having parents dragged out of meetings and cursing each other out of the dais and all these other behaviors, like I would describe that as unprofessional, not because I'm trying to moralize around what is right and wrong behavior. I'm just saying it's not actually allowing the organization to conduct the business of the organization. And so on this first spectrum, you have boards run from unprofessional where they're not conducting, you can't even get a quorum sometimes to professional boards where they are in fact conducting the business of the organization. That is what it means to be a professional functioning board. But an entirely separate indicator is are they an effective board or not? It is entirely possible to be a professionally ineffective board. And unfortunately, a lot of our school boards find themselves in a position where they are in fact conducting the business of the organization, but they're not fulfilling the mission of the organization. To be an effective board means that we're actually driving performance improvements for students. We're actually improving student outcomes. And so it's possible to be pro professional, we conduct the business in a way that doesn't improve student outcomes, that isn't effective. My aspiration, if I had to choose, I'd rather have an ineffective or uh, unprofessional effective board than a professional ineffective board. Obviously, the preference here is how do we have professional, effective boards that are conducting the business of the organization and that are simultaneously actually ensuring that student outcomes are improving. Uh, and the more that we've watched uh, videos, the more that we've seen what are some of the specific behaviors that have this, seem to have the strongest correlation with both professional conduct and effective conduct. My next question is, you're an awesome resource for anybody who just want to be engaged with the, the school system. Um, and now that you've written a book, can you give us a summary of your book? Great on their behalf, why school boards fail, how yours can be effective, and who should read it and where is it available? 
Yeah, the, the whole purpose of this is to recognize that if we want student outcomes to improve in the classroom, a key driver of that tends to be continuous improvement on the part of the educator. And that the educator is looking at what is it I want students to know and be able to do? What are the methods I'm gonna to use to try to convey that? How do I assess whether or not that's happening? And then how do I pivot my behavior? And then just around and around and around. It's just this short cycle of constantly setting an intention, monitoring that pivoting, setting intention, monitoring that pivoting. In the same way that that's how performance improves in the classroom, very similarly, continuous improvement is how performance improves in the boardroom. And so the book is really about how is it that boards can get on this continuous improvement cycle of constantly getting stronger and stronger at creating conditions for improved student outcomes. It suggests five key things that boards do in that continuous improvement cycle. The first is get a really focused mindset around what is it that we're here to do, improve student outcomes? What is our role in that to represent the vision and values of the community? Um, and, and to constantly be willing to change my adult behaviors in whatever ways are necessary to be in alignment with that intention. That's the first step is a focused mindset. The next step is to clarify the priorities, to get clear about what exactly are the outcomes that we want our students, what is it that we want them to know and be able to do, and to codify that, to write it down in the form of SMART goals, that are goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, results-focused, and time-bound, that, that lend specific measurement to the activities of adults so that we have a way of identifying, are we moving in the direction we want to or not? That's the second step, to clarify the priorities. The third of five steps is then you monitor progress toward the priorities. That every single month the board is investing half of its time together as a governing body every single month into monitoring, are we getting closer to the aspiration our community has for our children? That's the third step, monitoring progress. And then you align the resources. This is everything from voting to evaluation. And then we communicate the results. And then when the board gets really intentional about doing these five things is in constant cycle over and over, just continuous improvement, never slowing down, never giving up, just constantly saying, we're gonna be a little bit better and a little bit better for the students that we serve day in and day out. Not only can they increase the professionalism and effectiveness of their behavior, but by behaving that way, the board can create the culture of continuous improvement such that they free up staff to be engaged in the continuous process for themselves as well. If people want to get more information regarding your work, what is the best way to contact you? You know, easy way folks can reach out. They can learn more about the book, learn about the work that I'm doing on my website, just ajcrable.com, A-J-C-R-A-B-I-L-L.com. Uh, and, and I'd invite people to, to just reach out you know, directly. My email is just aj at ajcrable.com. And, and I'm always looking to interact with folks who have a real passion for what's possible for children and have demonstrated results. Like there's a lot of people who have passion and who care about the children. I, I hear about that every day and, and I value that, but that's not, actually not what I'm pulling for in this moment. What I'm pulling for is who are people who have documented evidence in the data. Don't contact me without the data. You know, in God we trust, all others bring data. <laughs> you know, who has documented evidence that the things that you're doing are driving performance improvements for students? Because I, because if if you have that, then I, I certainly want to you know be an amplifier for that. I want to help lift that up and help share that story among the hundreds of education leaders I work with across the country who collectively are educating more than eight million of our students across the nation. Awesome. Well, uh, before we go, are there any final comments you'd like to share? No, I just want to thank you. Uh, the part of the work that you're doing and the conversations that you lead. This is a critical part of how do we get the outcomes we want for students is that we have to create experiences for them 
that extend beyond the school day and, and that really create not only a protective hedge because students need to experience both physical and psychological safety to be able to perform at high levels, uh, but also creates opportunity for them to be seen, an opportunity for them uh, to really experience a sense of connection. Uh, this is an important part of their learning, um, but then also continues to push them and uh, stretch them in ways that allows them to be even better prepared for the curriculum that they're experiencing in their classrooms. Um, and so uh, this this conversation that you're leading uh, to me is uh, is a deeply meaningful one and just want to express gratitude and just keep on, keep it on, brother. I appreciate that. Well, AJ, thanks again for being my guest today on the Making After School Cool podcast and for being a valuable resource for people who really and truly want to positively get engaged with what's going on with their children's education, uh, as well as promoting student outcomes and just, you know, strengthening those resiliencies and those skills. So I really appreciate and applaud you for the work that you're doing. Well, again, Michael, thank you so much for having me. Cool. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today for my discussion with A.J. Crabbill regarding engaging educational leaders, school board members, and community stakeholders to focus on improving student outcomes. Please join us for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.